Well, this time all the elementary kids are dismissed to their classrooms. Well, this morning we're continuing our sermon series titled, Ministers of the New Covenant. Last week, Bob talked about the importance as believers for us to not lose heart, to not lose heart, and how that is actually a command. It's not just an opinion or a proposal that the Apostle Paul threw out in 2 Corinthians. He emphasized that we all have some role to play in being a minister to others. Being the aroma of Christ to this world is not just the job of paid pastors or professional Christians, if you will. It's the job of every single one of us that claims to be a follower of Christ. We are all called and commanded to share the good news of of Jesus with others, and that is the greatest responsibility and honor that we will ever have in our lifetime. And so today, we're literally just picking up from the next verse that Bob left off. So we're going to dive right in. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open to 2 Corinthians 4. There should be one right in front of you. Um, If you're using a pew Bible, it's page 1054, I believe. 2 Corinthians 4, we're going to focus on verses 7 through 12. Starting in verse 7, Paul says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Paul says we have this treasure in jars of clay. And this imagery is a little foreign to us, but many people that lived kind of in the ancient world, if you will, they kept their valuable items in jars of clay. A lot of them were very simple and just kind of boring and just just used for practical purposes. But some of these jars were decorated just beautifully with painting and glazing and other just different types of art form. But there was one problem with the jars, one problem. They were breakable, they were fragile, and they were weak. They were, used, they were used just for temporary storage of the items. They were never meant to be a, um, a forever place for their valuables. And what Paul is saying here to us and to the Corinthian Christians is this. We are the jars of clay. And this is huge for us to understand, huge for you to grasp. We are are jars of clay. Just like clay, we were created from the ground, right? God took dust 
and breathed life into us when he created mankind. Our bodies are like jars of clay, weak and fragile. We don't live forever, right? As we get older, some of you can account to, our bodies don't get better, right? Amen? None of us are Benjamin Button. It doesn't work that way. That'd be pretty rad. The older we get, our bodies show we don't get stronger. We're slowly decaying. And it is within our bodies that we carry around this treasure. Our bodies are temporary jars carrying around this treasure. And one day we will fully experience it when we stand before the Father in heaven. So what is this treasure? What is this treasure? This is quite simple. The treasure that we carry literally in our bodies and within our lives is the good news of Christ. It is the gospel. It is the glory of God displayed through the face of Jesus. And in this beautiful treasure in jars of clay, in our lives, like Paul says, God uses it to show that it is his all-surpassing power that is worthy of worship and praise and adoration. It is not from us. It is not by our work or power that people are set free or forgiven or redeemed or restored. It is all through the power, all the through surpassing power of God Almighty. And he chooses us to store that treasure, but not just to hoard it, but to also pass it on to others. And that is an honor and a privilege that we get to partake in throughout our lives. Look with me again at verses 8 and 9. We're going to read a few of these kind of um, different times. Verse 8 says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. And struck down, but not destroyed. Now, as I was reading this section this past week, describing kind of struggles and suffering that we encounter in life, but also some of the hope and the strength that we have in Christ, my mind immediately went to thinking about the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> Literally, it's the first thing that came to mind. And I was like, this is bizarre. And I told Bob, he's like, no, you need to share that. That's actually cool. Anybody that knows me, I'm obsessed with the Chiefs. Um, it is my hobby. Um, I run a Chiefs fan page. Any other Chiefs fanatics out there? Three. <laughs> this clearly is not Chiefs kingdom, people. Lord help us. But what my mind went to as I was thinking about this is the past several years, um, really the past five years, I would say, the Chiefs' defense has kind of been known, kind of you know, uh, been known around the league as a bend don't break type of defense. We've kind of been known to that. In the past several years, under the direction of our defensive coordinator, uh, his name's Bob Sutton, um, we've been known as this bend don't break type of defense. And what that means is we'll give up some yards. It means we'll get beat here and there. The other team is going to throw some punches at us, but you're not going to score on us, right? Now, this past year, our defense was so atrocious, it was broken from the first snap, giving up 600 yards of offense, which is insane. But when the other team comes across that goal line, they better bring their A game, right? Uh, if, sorry, if they want to cross that goal line. And as I was thinking about this, as weird as it sounds, our lives should look like the bend don't break defense of the Kansas City Chiefs when we face suffering. When we are hard-pressed, when the pressures and expectations of others come crushing in on us, 
we choose to not stay there. We choose to not allow ourselves to believe that we are crushed and that God is leaving us there. When we're struck down, we take confidence in knowing that God is not going to allow us to be destroyed. Um, I put together kind of a slide summarizing these, if, if we have that, yeah. So kind of the overarching theme of all these, if you will, is, you know, do not lose heart that Bob hit on last week. So Paul's saying this, we're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're, pers- uh, we're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Now, I want you to leave that up there for a minute. And I want to hear from you guys. So here's my question. How do you respond knowing that whatever struggle, suffering, or trial you face, you can be confident that Jesus will not abandon you? The world may abandon you. There's no question about that. But he will not leave you in despair. He will not allow your spirit to be destroyed. How do you respond knowing that the Savior is with you through the storms? What stirs in you as you read those? The floor's open. Let's just hear from maybe just a few of you guys. What's your response to those truths? Yeah, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's saying there's nothing he can go through that Christ hasn't went through, and it gives him the strength to know that he can face the day, whatever it may hold good. What else? Yeah, yeah, he replaced all those with Jesus. Yeah, Jesus was yeah, crushed, and we're going to get into that a little bit, so I'm not going to go too deep into that. Good. Anyone else? Yeah, that's good. He says it gives us reason to not be filled with anxiety, knowing that God is our source of strength. Anyone else? This passage is both extremely encouraging and convicting for me personally. You can go ahead and take that down, Todd. As I've shared before up here, I'm someone that can easily lose heart. Um, When life is difficult or people hurt me or let me down or betray me, I choose despair a lot of the time, and so my thoughts can kind of be like, here we go again. So-and-so let me down. So-and-so wronged me again. Things are never going to change. Why can't this person or this group of people or this situation just be easier? Why does everything have to be such a battle? Anybody think thoughts like that? It's just kind of like, wah-wah, Justin, just this repeated cycle of these thoughts of what's the purpose of trying I know I'm going to encounter this struggle again with this person next month or the month after that so I'm learning that not only is my response to suffering unhealthy but it also hinders God's work in the lives of others and this has kind of been a new revelation for me here's what's so dangerous about those of us if you're like me that often choose despair and choose to believe that we are crushed and that God has abandoned us. It serves nobody well when I wallow in my misery. 
right? It serves nobody well when I wallow in my misery. In those moments when we are so self-absorbed about our circumstances, we are unable to hear the voice of God and unable to see people as they are. We're unable to truly listen to the needs of someone else because all we can think about is how bad our life is. We have very little to offer anyone when we constantly allow our hearts to be crushed and believe the lie that God has forsaken us. And so Paul's saying in the midst of the struggle, whatever it is you're going through, God is with you. He's not going to let you be forsaken. The enemy does not have the final word or the victory over you. God goes before you leading the way and he's walking right beside you every step of the journey. He's with you on the mountaintop and through the valley. And on top of that, God goes even further. This is something else that came to my mind. Anytime I read, especially verse 7, my mind immediately goes to Kansas City Chiefs or the Christian rock band Jars of Clay. Anybody own this album from 1995? Here we go. Some of of us are showing our age. Yeah, that's right. This came out when I was in middle school, I think. This album is amazing. I have listened to this thing hundreds of times. Um, I actually used to play in a band with a buddy that recently toured with Jars of Clay, so I was like, that's awesome. Um, This album is amazing, and I want to read just some of the lyrics from their hit song, Flood, from this album that completely relates to this passage. I think we have it. Here we go. Rain, rain on my face. It hasn't stopped raining for days. My world is a flood. Slowly I become one with the mud. But if I can't swim after 40 days and my mind is crushed by the crashing waves, Lift me up so high that I cannot fall. Lift me up. Lift me up when I'm falling. Lift me up when I'm weak and I'm dying. Lift me up. I need you to hold me. Lift me up and keep me from drowning again. The God that we serve is a God that lifts us up. He's a God that lifts us up. He doesn't leave you alone. No matter the storm or the flood that you're going through or the one that might be waiting for you next month or a few months from now or whenever it might be, he will not let you stay down. It does not matter if you have been mocked, spit upon, beaten, betrayed, or stabbed in the back by one of your closest friends. His strength will lift you up and give you the endurance to face another day. Because there is too much at stake for us to believe the lie that God has abandoned us. There is too much at stake. There are too many people that need to experience the goodness of God. And we're not able to offer them much when we walk around with crushed spirits believing that there's no hope. Who wants to follow that God when we're believing that lie? There's simply too much at stake. Now look at with me one last time, verses 10 through 12. We'll focus on this section now. Paul says, We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, 
but life is at work in you. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. And Paul's statement here, this is kind of a a summary, kind of a bringing home, if you will, of what he's talked about in the past couple verses. And some of the language and descriptions that Paul is using here were especially true of the time and the culture in which he lived. He's using terms like death, persecuted, and struck down. And he literally experienced these types of sufferings, if you didn't know that. On numerous occasions, he was thrown in prison. He was severely beaten with rods. He was pelted with stones. On five different occasions, he was whipped in the back 39 times. If you were whipped 40 times, you were considered legally dead. So he was whipped 39 times on five different occasions. His his life, by our standards, was horrible. I would imagine none of us have went through anything remotely close to that type of physical suffering. So he speaks from a posture of someone who knew what it meant to suffer. He had the right to speak about this. And while it's a little difficult for us to completely relate to the physical type of suffering that he's talking about here, because we're allowed to freely worship here in the United States, right? None of you came to church today scared that you were going to be beaten or arrested for singing praises to Jesus. Even though it's a little difficult for us to connect with that aspect, we can still relate and apply what he's talking about to our lives. And here it is. If you're truly following Jesus, then there should be evidence in your life of carrying around the death of Jesus. If you're truly following Jesus, then there should be evidence in your life of carrying around the death of Jesus. If you are living a life of obedience to Christ, you will be mocked by others. The world does not understand this Jesus that we serve. They will try to hurt you with their words or actions. They might physically harm you. This is especially true for our Christian brothers and sisters that live in countries where Christianity is illegal. They are beaten. They are thrown in prison because of their faith. German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, some of you guys know this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When you say yes to Jesus, you are agreeing to participate in his death. When you say yes to Jesus, you must accept that the life that you knew before Christ is now over. It's gone It is done. To follow Jesus means to sacrifice and surrender. You lay down your selfishness and your love of money and your pride and your pursuit of the American dream in order that others may come to know our Savior. If Jesus himself, think about this, if Jesus himself, the perfect son of God, had to suffer and die here on earth, who are we to think that there could be another way? Jesus was mocked and betrayed by his closest friends and then brutally murdered. How can we possibly think that we deserve to have a life not marked by suffering? It is impossible. 
If you're not coming to terms with laying down, <clears throat> excuse me, laying down your life and your pursuit of comfort and wealth or whatever it is apart from Jesus, then you're not going to experience the fullness of the abundant life that Christ offers you. To follow Jesus means to die to our flesh and its desires. Here's another one. When you say yes to Jesus, you're also agreeing to go to war for the souls of lost people. I was having lunch with my friend Chris today, or not today, the other day, and he, he brought this up. He's like, man, following Jesus means like you're willing to go to war. And I was like, I'm preaching on that. It was bizarre. I had just wrote it, and then we had lunch. It means you're signing up to go to war for lost people. If you're never battling for the souls of others, then there is a serious disconnect between your life and the life of Christ. I'm going to say that again because that's pretty threatening to a lot of Christians. If you're never battling for the souls of others, then there is a serious disconnect between your life and the life of Jesus. Every day we wake up, we are at war with an enemy that hates us, and he hates the God that we serve. And he does everything in his power to make lost people stay blind, and everything in his power to make sure that Christians walk around with crushed, broken spirits who feel that we have no hope in this God that we claim to serve. He does everything to keep the gospel from being shared. And for us to join Jesus in his battle for others looks like giving your time away to someone who needs a friend to listen to them. It means giving your money away to someone in need. It means praying for people who you know are lost or hurting. It means sacrificing your family plan, budget, and schedule so that other people can come to know our Savior. Being in battle can feel like death, right? You will be wounded physically or emotionally. But when you are fighting for God's most cherished treasure, the hearts of men and women, that fight is always, always worth it. It is always worth it. You guys still with me? That's, I know, this is hard. So that's the death aspect. I'm not going to leave you there. We're going to talk about the hope now, right? Because there's two sides to this gospel. We're going to talk about the life aspect now that Paul's talking about. Though our bodies are like jars of clay, weak, temporary, and decaying, it is through our suffering and our weakness that we are able to fully experience the life of Christ. Paul says we carry around the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. In other words, while we are in battle for the souls of others, while our bodies are literally decaying day by day, while others may mock and persecute us, God is using all of those hardships to form us and shape us into the character of Christ. Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in what? Your weakness. And if you were to skip ahead in 2 Corinthians, this is why Paul says that for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. I delight in insults. I delight in hardships and persecutions and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
That is so countercultural to the way that we think and operate. Suffering is actually a good thing that God wants us to learn from and embrace rather than running away from and trying to avoid at all costs. When we are hard-pressed and persecuted, and it is in those exact moments that God wants to teach and reveal to you the power of Christ. And because we are weak and powerless without him, we're reminded in verse 7 that the all-surpassing power comes from God alone and not from us. He simply chooses us as jars of clay to shine his light to others. It is nothing that we can take pride in. It is all for Jesus and because of Jesus. And so as we come kind of to a close today, I want to ask, where are you with this teaching? 2 Corinthians 4. Have you forgotten the greatness of the treasure that you carry within you? Have you forgotten it? You need to be reminded of the beauty of this treasure and what Christ has done so that you can eagerly pass it on to others. Maybe you need to be encouraged and to just take heart today in knowing that we serve a God that lifts us up and who doesn't allow us just to stay crushed and who has not abandoned us. Maybe you need to consider whether or not there's evidence in your life of carrying around the death of Jesus. Do you have wounds? Do you have battle wounds for going to war for the souls of lost people? Rather than choosing to spare, are you allowing yourself to experience Christ's power and knowing that when you are weak, He is strong. He gives you the strength to face another day. I just threw a lot at you guys, about 10 different scenarios of where most of you probably will lie with what could be stirring in your heart. And so I want to give you guys some time of silence. I don't do this a whole lot at the end of sermons, but I feel led to. Just to set in whatever it is God might be speaking to you right now. I see some of the wheels turning. So I'm going to give you guys a minute or two of silence. And I want you just to listen. If you need to close your eyes, whatever you need to do to focus. What's your one takeaway from this? What is God trying to speak to you right now? What does he want to challenge you or encourage you in with this message? What do you need to take away and start applying to your life from this? So I'll give you a little bit of silence and then I'll pray for us um, and we'll go from there.